Everybody loves a good mystery, right? Today we are continuing in our deep discussion of the Shroud of Turin, and we're focusing this episode and the next on busting some Shroud myths. So as I talk to people about the Shroud of Turin, their most common objection to believing in it as the genuine article is almost always the 1988 carbon dating, which was done by scientists at three different laboratories and in their minds definitively proved the Shroud of Turin is a medieval hoax. For instance, Jessica Spitz is a writer for NBCNews.com, and she basically asserts that science has proven again and again and again that the Shroud of Turin is conclusively a fake. Of course, the centerpiece of her argument is the radiocarbon dating of the Shroud, and this is what she writes in a recent article on NBC News. Forensic scientists have once again concluded that the Shroud of Turin, supposedly the burial cloth Jesus was wrapped in after his crucifixion, was artificially created. The Shroud, which is kept in the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Turin, Italy, has long been a subject of controversy within the Catholic community. Believers say its stains are the blood of Jesus, while others have questioned whether the stains are even blood at all. The new research is in line with numerous previous studies that have concluded that the shroud is not authentic. Earlier carbon dating work has determined that it dates to 1260 to 1390 AD. Jesus is generally believed to have died in the year 33. And a blue ribbon panel called the Turin Commission concluded in 1979 that stains on the garment are likely pigments, not blood. While textbert, a textile experts and art historians have suggested that the materials and images are not from the right era. Now, reading from that article, it sounds very, very definitive. Science has certainly concluded in numerous ways that the shroud is a fake. And this new study just adds more evidence to that. So, let's take a look at some of these, quote, definite proofs and consider whether or not they can convince us that the shroud is a forgery. Spitz summarizes how this particular most recent 2018 scientific inquiry proved the Shroud of Turin false in this way. In the most recent study, forensic scientists used blood pattern analysis to investigate the arm and body positions necessary to yield the pattern seen on the shroud. Using a live volunteer and a mannequin to model several positions, researchers determined that the patterns were consistent with multiple poses, which contradicts with the theory that Jesus was buried in the cloth lying down. In other words, Kind of reading between the lines here, the researchers concluded that the blood spatter pattern on the shroud conclusively could not have come from a victim that was lying still, but one that was moving about some. Now think about that for a second. Does the fact that the figure on the shroud shows evidence of being moved after being wrapped in the burial cloth indicate that the shroud itself must be a forgery? 
I'm honestly not sure how you could come to that conclusion, especially considering the biblical testimony that the followers of Jesus took steps to prepare the body of Jesus for permanent burial. As well, we see clear evidence in Matthew that the body of Jesus was wrapped in linen and then moved into the tomb. Surely, something like that could account for the whole multiple poses thing. So think about this, as we read in Matthew 27, 59 through 61. So Joseph, this is, of course, the the Holy Grail guy, Joseph of Arimathea, took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there, facing the tomb. So, does the fact that the shroud figure have multiple poses conclusively prove that the shroud is a fake? Of course not. Scripture here is very clear that the body of Jesus was moved after being wrapped, which I think, logically, rationally, could certainly account for these multiple poses. But don't just take my word for it. No less an authority than Victor Wheaton, the chairman of forensic sciences at George Washington University in Washington, said in an interview that while the experimental approach seemed to make sense to him, he was, quote, skeptical of this analysis, saying that there was no reason to believe that the body could not have been moved while being transported. He says, We're not dealing with things we really know about. We just don't know if this cloth was laid on someone who just laid there, was wrapped around the body, or moved some before being put in a particular place. Well, according to the Bible, the body was wrapped, then moved into the tomb. And here's the thing. Whedon is an Ivy League professor. He's got a Juris Doctorate, which means a doctrine in law, and a medical doctorate. He's a brilliant guy. I think we can consider this particular study uh, busted myth-wise. I do not believe the 2018 study of the blood spatter blood pattern on the Shroud of Turin proves definitively that it's a fall, uh, that it's a fake. I don't think it proves anything. It certainly doesn't prove it's the genuine article either. Now, on a total side note, rabbit trail, I believe these passages that we have about the burial of Jesus and the preparation of his body and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary standing outside the tomb and just just kind of watching the whole preparation process, it's quite interesting relative to the resurrection of Jesus. I've written a book, Easter Fact or Fiction. It's a book about 20 reasons to believe why Jesus rose from the dead. And, and this is one of the things I touch on in the book. We assume here in 2019 that the ancient followers of Jesus were very gullible, you know, hillbillies, primitive kind of people. Not at all sophisticated, in other words. They didn't have scientific knowledge. They couldn't Google things. So what did they know? They would have glibly and gladly accepted the idea of a person coming back to life because they would not have had any sort of understanding that coming back to life was scientifically impossible. However, biblical evidence clearly contradicts this. The disciples of Jesus, even the ladies following him, they did not expect him to return. They hid out and mourned after his death. An expensive linen cloth, not the kind of cloth that you're going to get all dirty and bloody for three days, by the way. 
An expensive, nicely done linen cloth was used to wrap the body of Jesus, which is strange behavior if you expected him back in a few days. Why waste the cloth? The female followers of Jesus did not expect him to rise from the dead either. They came to prepare his body for permanent entombment. Even Mary Magdalene, upon seeing the open tomb of Jesus, didn't assume a resurrection, but asked for his lifeless body had been moved to. The followers of Jesus did not expect the resurrection, despite Jesus' claims that he would return from the dead. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, he they had their mind changed. They were not expecting this. They were not hallucinating because they were so hopeful. They believed in their hearts that he was dead and gone. And then their mind was changed and the world was transformed because of it. I find that not a proof of the resurrection, but a compelling reason to believe in it. Okay, back to the shroud. Perhaps the biggest single evidence against the authenticity of the shroud, at least in most people's minds, is the results of the 1988 radiocarbon carbon-14 dating, which concluded that the fabric in the shroud was from the 1300s, give or take a couple of hundred years. If that conclusion was accurate, as Mrs. Ben snarkily pointed out earlier, then the shroud would very obviously be a medieval forgery of some sort because Jesus died in the 30s A.D., I believe that the number of congruences between the figure in the shroud and the biblical account of the passion, the suffering, and crucifixion of Jesus are just too numerous for one to assume that the figure in the shroud is anyone but Jesus. And thus, if the cloth is from the 1300s, then the shroud is an intentional forgery that is obviously meant to mislead for one reason or the other. The trouble is, there is much debate, scientific, theological, and philosophical, about that carbon dating figure. Uh, I'm a member of some Facebook groups where we've recently discussed the Shroud of Turin. One of them is a group of Baptist pastors that I'm a member of. One of them is the Astonishing Legends podcast group where they talk about all sorts of strange and interesting things. Well, the, in both of those groups, you can see people when they discuss the Shroud of Turin, you can see them either completely and utterly reject the results of the radiocarbon dating, or they completely and utterly embrace them. For instance, NS, I'm not going to use anybody's full name, NS says, no one has been able to replicate how it was made, which is fascinating. And one of the fiber samples taken for carbon dating turns out to have been a repaired section, so that accounts towards the dating inconsistencies. I've always been interested in the shroud and its physical characteristics. So here's somebody who completely has debunked the results of the 1988 radiocarbon dating. On the other hand, another person, initials AM, wrote this. I feel like the carbon dating was from a repaired section thing has been taken as gospel, no pun intended, without looking at the evidence against that theory. Among them, the fact that the this particular weaving is not typical of Judean fabrics of the early first century, and that several experts, including a textile restoration specialist, have said that the section from which the sample is taken is microscopically indistinguishable from the rest of the cloth, which is simply not possible if the repair were undertaken in the time to which the sample dates. 
There have been many, many attempts to prove the 14th century origin date wrong, and all of them have been failures or have been gemmed up with test results that were not able to be duplicated and independently verified. So here you have two polar opposite opinions. One person says that the dating results are just bunk and obviously have been debunked. The other person says every attempt to debunk those dating results has failed. And it's clearly the fact that science has proven the Shroud is a hoax. Now, if you look at headlines about the Shroud of Turin over the last couple of years, you're going to have a similar pattern. Confident and contradictory claims that appear to be irrefutable. For instance, LifeSite News headline, Scientists debunk theory that the Shroud of Turin is a medieval hoax. NBC News, Forensic research once again suggests the Shroud of Turin is fake. BBC News, Turin Shroud older than thought. Independent.co.uk, 628-year-old fake news. Scientists prove Turin Shroud not genuine again. USA Today. New test dates Shroud of Turin to era of Christ. Reuters. New forensic tests suggest Shroud of Turin is a fake. History.com. Shroud of Turin isn't Jesus' burial cloth, claims forensic study. Fizz.org. Study of data from 1988 Shroud of Turin testing suggests mistakes. So here's the thing. Dozens, maybe hundreds of studies have sought to undermine the results of the 1988 Carbon-14 dating tests of the Shroud. Some of them have been very convincing. Others maybe a little less so. For instance, uh, one of the debunkings of the 1988 des- uh, datings uh, is mentioned in a churchmilitant.com article, which is not a website I'm familiar with, but quoting from the website, it says this, A theory surfaced in 2014 that the earthquake when our Lord died on the cross might have impacted the Shroud's radiocarbon results. Radiocarbon dating is based on measuring radioactive decay, the process by which atoms lose neutrons. The group of scientists in Italy made the case that the tremors on Good Friday possibly caused emissions of neutrons from the Earth's crust impacting atoms in the shroud's fibers. If the atoms in the shroud were affected by neutron emissions, this would massively skew the results of radiocarbon dating. Well, I guess that might in some worlds be true, But it's a pretty fantastical theory, to be honest with you. And I'm really not convinced, nor do I really understand the whole neutron emissions theory. But I will say this, if such a thing is true, then you will have a lot of dates off because there have been a lot of earthquakes near items found by archaeology. And you think we would probably hear about some of this stuff by now. But... You know, what's what's the truth? Are you confused yet? I am. I think it's obvious that scientific consensus is not 100% behind the hoax or the genuine side of the Shroud debate. So what's the story on that carbon-14 dating that supposedly conclusively and obviously proved the Shroud was faked? So here's what happened. 
And I'm going to read sort of how the test was conceived and conducted from the Wikipedia article, which has a very neutral viewpoint and has several important facts that I have. uh, Most of these I've checked to verify that they're true. Here's how that 1988 test was conducted. April 17th, 1988, 10 years after the STIRP project had been initiated, British Museum scientific director Michael Tite published in uh, Nature magazine the final protocol of how the test would happen. There would be three laboratories, one in Oxford, England, one in Zurich, Switzerland, and one in good old Tucson, Arizona. All three would perform a carbon-14 dating test. Each lab would receive one small sample of the shroud, each weighing 40 milligrams. That is a very small sample size. Whether that makes a difference or not, I don't know. But 40 milligrams, if you think of maybe the weight of a paperclip, that's roughly a gram. So 40 milligrams is uh, 4% of a gram. They would each receive one sample weighing 40 milligrams sampled from a single portion of the weave. The laboratories would each receive two control samples of other fabrics, clearly distinguishable from the shroud sample. Samples would be delivered to the laboratory's representatives in Turin. Each test would be filmed. There would be no comparison of results or communication between laboratories until the results were certified as definitive, univocal, and complete. So the samples were taken April 21st, 1988, in the cathedral by Franco Testor, who was an expert on weaves and fabrics, and by Dr. Giovanni Righi, a representative of the maker of bioequipment Numana. Testore performed the weighting operations while Righi made the actual cut. Also present was Cardinal Ballestero, four priests, Arch by Archdiocese spokesman Luigi Gonella, photographers, a camera operator, Michael Tite of the British Museum, and the lab's representatives. As a precautionary measure, a piece twice as big as the one required by the protocol was cut from the shroud. It measured 3.19 by 0.83 inches, so less than 4 by 1 inches, a, a small piece. This was an an outer strip showing colored filaments of uncertain origin was discarded. Now that's going to be important here in a little bit. The remaining sample, which was measured at 3.19 by 0.63 inches, so we basically had 0.2 inches shaved off the side there, and weighing 300 milligrams, was first divided into two equal parts, one of which was preserved in a sealed container in the custody of the Vatican in case of future need. The other half, so roughly 150 milligrams worth, was cut into three segments and packaged for the labs in a separate room by Michael Tite and the Archbishop. The lab representatives were not present at this packaging process in accordance with the protocol. The labs were also each given three control samples of different fabric with already known dates on it to basically see if their tests would show the accurate dating of those fabrics. So after that, there was a press conference that took place on October 13, 1988. Cardinal Ballesterero announced the official results found out by the labs. 
Now, those results were this. Radiocarbon testing dated the shroud to a date of 1260 to 1390 AD with 95% confidence. Well, in my book, that's a middle A. So that's that, right? 95% confidence by three different labs that the shroud was somewhere between the 1200s and 1300s, so roughly six, 700 years old. The radiocarbon dating slammed the door on the shroud's authenticity for many, many people. One of the foremost shroud researchers and proponents, who was himself a member of the original STIRP team of scientists who studied the Turin Shroud in the late 1970s, is a man named Barry Schwartz. He runs Shroud.com, which is probably the most visited site devoted to the Turin Shroud on the internet. In commenting on the results of that dating, Schwartz describes the reaction by Shroud devotees as this. As soon as the dating results were leaked to the press, the world of the Shroud came to a complete and sudden halt. Many researchers took this as the final word and disengaged completely. The years of hard work by the STIRP team and the many papers they published in peer-reviewed scientific literature were immediately discarded and ultimately forgotten. These, indeed, were bleak years of shroud research. Except, there were objections raised about the radiocarbon dating almost from the beginning. Well, actually, to be fair... There were objections raised years before the testing actually took place. For instance, Professor William Meacham is an archaeologist who writes articles with titles like High Throughput Field Phenotyping Using Hyperspectral Reflectance and Partial Least Squares Regression, PLSR, Reveals Genetic Modifications to Photosynthetic Capacity, and articles like Determination of the original firing temperature of ceramics from non-Noctai and Femi, Thailand. So obviously this is a pretty sharp guy. So before the shroud was carbon dated, Meacham cautioned against letting the results of the radiocarbon testing be the end-all determinant of the authenticity or lack thereof, of the shroud. For instance, two years before the test, in 1986, this is what he wrote. In recent discussions on the possible authenticity of the Turin shroud, the question of the value of C14 dating persistently recurs. Virtually all researchers agree that the test should be performed. Sufficiently small samples can now be measured so that the appearance of the relic is not altered. Several C14 dating proposals are now under consideration by the Archbishop of Turin. In contrast to these positive developments, however, there appears to be an unhealthy consensus approaching the level of dogma among both scientific and lay commentators that C14 dating will settle the issue once and for all time. This attitude sharply contradicts the general perspective of field archaeologists and geologists who view possible contamination as a very serious problem in interpreting the results of radiocarbon measurement. In this paper, I shall examine the issue of the reliability of C14 testing to produce an absolute date on the linen sheet known as the Holy Shroud of Turin and believed by some to be the grave cloth of Christ. Reviewing recent shroud literature of all persuasions, 
I find little awareness of the limitations of the C14 method, an urge to, quote, date first and ask questions later, and a general disregard for the close collaboration between field and laboratory personnel, which is the ideal in archaeometric projects. Regarding the shroud, consultations should take place among archaeologists, historians, conservationists, cellulose chemists, and of course radiocarbon scientists in order to formulate a specific C14 sample and dating procedure. As I shall endeavor to demonstrate below, the radiocarbon measurement of the shroud is a complex issue and the inclusion of all relevant expertise is highly important. So that was a paper written two years before the Turin Shroud was tested, and it had some cautions that I don't think were heeded. Later on in that paper, Dr. Meacham includes that uh, with his this, this paragraph. My own tentative proposal for dating the shroud is that at least five samples be taken. One, a single thread from the middle of the cloth between the dorsal and ventral images. Two, a small piece cut just in from the edge next to the side of Varese's piece. Three, a piece of the charred cloth. Four, a piece cut from the side strip next to the side of Varese's cut. Five, a piece of the backing cloth sewn on in 1534. The principal samples would be one and two, with three possibly confirmatory. Four would hopefully clarify the question of an added side strip. Five would be a control for modern contamination. All samples would be subjected to elaborate pretreatment, SEM screening, and testing, microchemical mass spectrometry, microramen, for impurities or intrusive substances such as higher-order hydrocarbons, inorganic, and organic carbonates. Samples 2 through 5 would be measured by both gas proportional and accelerator counting. Samples of at least 3 square centimeters each would be required for intensive pretreatment, which would be likely to sacrifice a portion of the sample, measurement of fractions and controls for microtesting. A total of 12 square centimeters or so of the relic itself would thus be required. Selvage edges would be avoided, as in the British Museum Intercomparison Experiment. In view of the myriad contamination possibilities, at least two fractions of each sample should be measured by each counting method if possible. In the end, with luck, we would have at least two or three radiocarbon ages in good agreement and possibly, quite possibly, indicative of the true calendrical age of the Shroud of Turin. That is all we would be justified in claiming. The existence of significant indeterminate errors can never be excluded from any age determination. No method is immune from giving grossly incorrect datings when there are non-apparent problems with the samples originating in the field. The results illustrated in this paper show that this situation occurs frequently. Regardless of the C14 result, evidence from other sources would of course remain of considerable importance in the overall evaluation of the age and origin of the relic. A C14 test later uh, then the first century would not, of course, constitute scientific proof of the inauthenticity of the shroud, since radiocarbon dating is based on a number of unverifiable assumptions, the most important in this context being that the carbon extracted from the sample is indeed identical with the carbon absorbed from the environment when the sample was alive. 
But of course, C14 measurement does usually provide a reliable indication of true calendrical age. <laughs> okay, so that is quite a mouthful from Professor Meekham. And he raises some incredibly important points. Honestly, if the testers of the shroud had followed his protocol in 1988, I believe there would be much, much less debate about the authenticity of the shroud one way or the other today. Because I think most of the objections that have been raised, that I know about, that I've studied, would have been ameliorated by following Professor Meekham's protocols. Over the years, many others have raised objections to the method and conclusions of the test, which most certainly didn't follow the protocols that Professor Meekham called for. The main objections that have been raised included the possibility of course of contamination of the sample, mainly due to the fact that it was handled by hundreds if not thousands of people, and also the fact that it's been exposed to multiple fires over the centuries, as well as the fact that the location of the sample was near the edge of the garment, an area that many have thought to be part of a medieval repair. Think about, think about it like this. Have you heard of the ship of Theseus? It's one of the most fascinating thought experiments in all of philosophy, and I was a philosophy uh, major in college, so uh, I got to study some of these interesting things. And the ship of Theseus thought experiment and philosophical problem has been around for thousands of years, I mean, even 500 years before the time of Jesus. So in case you don't know, Theseus was the possibly probable mythical founding king of Athens. The thought experiment goes like this. So let's say Theseus had a great battleship that he won big battles in. Over the years, though, the ship has to be repaired because some planks are damaged, the mast is broken, rot sets in, whatever, cannonballs, you know, who knows. After a few decades, due to the nature of wood, and I guess, of course, I realized they did not have cannonballs back then, but over, over the decades, it had to be repaired and replaced. In fact, after a few decades, all of the original parts of Theseus's ship has had to have been replaced. Not all at one time, of course, but over the years, bit by bit, part by part, plank by plank. The philosophical question is this. Is it still Theseus's ship at the end despite the fact that there's not a single original part left. The second part of the thought experiment is to consider yet another hypothetical. What if Theseus kept in a storehouse every single part of his boat that was replaced? Further still, what if somebody came along that developed the technology or had the skill to restore and repair every single one of those parts that were pulled off of the original ship, and they completely rebuilt the ship of Theseus using all original parts from the ship of Theseus and to the exact specifications of the original. So, which of those two boats is more the original ship of Theseus? Well... That's not a Bible mystery we're here to solve today, but it does serve as sort of an oblique introduction to one of the major issues with testing the shroud. What if the ship of Theseus, or a similar ship, was somehow in service for hundreds of years, 
dating back to an indeterminate time. Perhaps some modern scientists would want to radiocarbon date the ship to test how old it was. That test would only be accurate if one took a sample from an original plank on the ship, right? If the ship was originally built in 1525, but then repaired in multiple places in, I don't know, say 1875, and the sample taken for the carbon test was from a repaired plank, then one could quickly see how the C-14 test would fail to ascertain the real age of the ship, right? Well, that's exactly what many claim has happened with the 1988 radiocarbon dating of the shroud. Many claim that the sample posted was either from a section of the shroud subject to some unknown medieval repairs, or it was tainted by a fire or medieval touching or any number of things. This is why Professor Meacham argued in 1986 that radiocarbon dating should not be the only way that the shroud of the, the date of the shroud was determined, and especially the radiocarbon dating of one small piece from the very edge of the shroud should not be the way that the date of the shroud should be determined. Multiple pieces from multiple locations should be used. A 2000 study of the shroud by a man named Joseph Marino and his wife Sue Binford found some interesting results based on x-ray analysis of the TS sample sites. They found what they believe to be a seam in the sampled area of the fabric, which is indicative of a repair made much later than when the cloth was originally made. The seam they found is diagonal and runs through the entire strip of the piece of fabric that was cut off of the shroud and divided into three parts and sent to three different labs. Marino and Benford indicate that the variance of roughly 200 years found in the C-14 dating of the labs of between Arizona, Zurich, and Oxford, that seems to correspond to the location of this diagonal seam, which caused the researchers, Marino and Penford, that is, to theorize that the repair line, the seam they found, was skewing the results of the dating test, the 1988 dating test, and causing those three results to fall outside of the bounds of date agreement than st that statistical analysis would expect for th three tests of the same exact cloth. Interestingly, this is kind of fun. After my first episode on the Bible Mystery Podcast on the Shroud of Turin, I, I think the next day after I re released it, I heard from Joe Marino out of the blue. He tracked me down. He sent he has sent me a ton of very interesting and useful information about the Shroud. And he says he basically monitors the internet for people talking about the Shroud. And he seeks to educate them. So thank you, Mr. Marino, for the information that you've sent me. It's been very, very helpful. Raymond Rogers was a chemist and thermal analysis expert who served for nearly 40 years at the Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. He was a high-ranking military analyst as well and wrote and edited numerous scientific journal articles. Rogers was the head of a chemical analysis for the original STIRP team that studied the shroud. After the 1988 C-14 testing, Rogers was initially convinced for years by the results of the test, but he began to reconsider these results after he was contacted by Joe Marino and his wife, Sue Benford. They sent him a paper that had lots of questions about the radiocarbon dating. 
Rogers re-examined some of his, the fiber samples that were still available at the Arizona Laboratory from the Shroud of Turin in order to essentially prove that Marino and Benford were barking up the wrong tree. However, something interesting happened when, uh, when Rogers re-examined those fibers, and that is he was surprised to find very clear microscopic, ev- microscopic evidence that a cotton patch had been skillfully weaved into the original linen of the tested part of the Turin Shroud. Rogers also noted that x-ray fluorescent photography done of the shroud demonstrated that the part of the cloth where the sample was taken glowed a different color than the rest of the cloth, which would likely be an indicator that different fabric was contained in the testing tested sample. In 2005, shortly before his death from cancer, uh, Rogers the chemist wrote a scientific paper on the shroud for the chemistry journal Thermochemica Acta, that contained a detailed chemical analysis of the shroud fibers with lots of pictures and a discussion of the likely contamination of the C14 sampled section of the cloth. This paper has this conclusion. If the shroud had been produced between AD 1260 and 1390, as indicated by radiocarbon analysis, Lignin should be easy to detect on the sample. A linen produced in AD 1260 would have it retained about 37% of its vanillin in 1978. The raised threads, the holland cloth, and all other medieval linens gave the test for vanillin wherever lignin could be observed on growth nodes. The disappearance of all traces, uh, traces of vanillin from the lignin in the shroud indicates a much older age than the radiocarbon laboratories reported. Because the shroud and other very old linens do not give the vanillin test, the cloth must be quite old. It is thus unlikely that the linen was produced during medieval times. The combined evidence from chemical kinetics, analytical chemistry, cotton content, and pyrolysis proves that the material from the radiocarbon area of the shroud is significantly different from that of the main cloth. The radiocarbon sample was thus not part of the original cloth, is invalid, and is invalid for determining the age of the shroud. Because the storage conditions throughout the centuries are unknown, a more accurate age determination will require new radiocarbon analysis with several fully characterized and carefully prepared samples. In other words, Rogers is pointing out two really, really big issues here. One is he has chemically analyzed the textile of the shroud cloth for the presence of vanillins and lignans, which are on cloths from the Middle, Middle, Middle Ages, but have completely decayed off of cloths that are much older than that. And one way you can do a scientific analysis of the dating of textiles is by measuring for lignans and vanillin uh, in particular. What Rogers is saying is the shroud cloth seems to be so old that there is absolutely zero vanillin lignans present. And he says that's one way you can do the test. As well, 
his chemical analysis is showing that the part of the cloth that was tested, it demonstrates a different composition by various uh, methods of observation, including x-ray photography and microscopic evaluation. It and the presence of fibers and things like that, it demonstrates a different composition from the rest of the shroud. And if you'll remember towards the beginning of the podcast when we discussed how the sample for the shroud was originally taken and in cut off the shroud for dating, you'll remember they found several fibers in that shroud that they didn't know where it came from, probably from a medieval repair, and they had to cut that off. And the big question, of course, is what if they missed some things? What if, what if they saw those fibers cut them off but didn't see other evidences of contamination? There is no historical record that I've seen that in 1988 the people cutting the sample of the shroud used microscopic analysis to determine where they were going to cut or to make sure that the sample they cut from was unadulterated. More recently, fast forward all the way to summer of 2019, a peer-reviewed academic journal called Archaeometry, which is produced by the University of Oxford, has published a very interesting article that has called into question again the results of the C-14 dating of the shroud. If you aren't familiar, and I certainly wasn't, Archaeometry is an international research journal covering the application of the physical and biological sciences to archaeology and the history of art. The topics covered in this journal include dating methods, artifact studies, mathematical methods, remote sensing techniques, conservation science, environmental reconstruction, biological anthropology, and archaeological theory. So in the most recent issue of Archaeometry, an international team of researchers led by French researcher Tristan Casabianca obtained the raw results from the original 1988 radiocarbon testing from Oxford University. Now they had to do some legal things to obtain these results, but they did get them. And this is the first time that anybody has had access to the raw raw results of the radiocarbon testing, the raw data, the raw results. We've had access to the results of the test, which was published in Nature magazine in 1988, but nobody has had access to all of the data until Tristan Casabianca and his team obtained it by uh, legal processes through the University of uh, the Oxford University. They did significant statistical analysis of the results of the raw testing, and they also looked for other possible issues with the 1988 radiocarbon dating. Now, Mr. Casabianca was interviewed by the French magazine L'Homme Nouveau, which means the new man, and in that interview, Casabianca summarized the findings of his team's study which he says is this. In 1989, the results of the shroud dating were published in the prestigious journal Nature, showing that between uh, the date between 1260 and 1390 with 95% certainty. But for 30 years, researchers have asked the laboratories for raw data. These 
labs have always refused to provide the raw data. In 2017, I submitted a legal request to the British Museum, which supervised the laboratories. Thus, I had access to hundreds of unpublished pages, which include these raw data. With my team, we conducted our analysis. Our statistical analysis shows that the 1988 carbon-14 dating was unreliable. The tested samples are obviously heterogeneous, showing many different dates, and there is no guarantee that all of these samples taken from one end of the sheet are representative of the whole fabric. It is therefore impossible to conclude that the Shroud of Turin dates from the Middle Ages. I've read Mr. Casabianca's paper. Uh, and parts of it I've read and reread and scratched my head and reread again. I got to tell you, it is really, really complex. I had statistics 205 in college, and it was way, way, way beyond me. But I feel like I understand the paper well enough to note that it raises some very troubling concerns about the results of the 1988 dating. Some of these concerns include, number one, Significant contamination of various pieces of the very small shroud samples sent to each laboratory. And the paper says this. Despite close visual inspection of the Turin shroud by textile experts and the loss of weight of approximately 25% after the cutting of the sample, Oxford found and removed several textile fibers of different colors including one identified by a textile laboratory to be cotton, possibly of Egyptian origin and quite old. Oxford Labs mentions that in one subsample there may have been glass, perhaps sodium. In the original draft, the Arizona Labs indicated that a red thread and three blue shred threads were removed from one of their subsamples. In 2010, Arizona recognized that they had kept one piece of an undated Turin shroud sample. On this subsample, the authors identified foreign material invisible to the naked eye, including a blue substance described as apparently wax and some cotton fibers. Zurich may also have found an assortment of debris according to a test by Marinelli in 2012. So just hear that. That's pretty significant stuff. The first issue that Casabianca's paper raises after examining hundreds of pages of raw data is the fact that apparently all three of the tiny, little bitty, less than postage-sized uh, postage stamp size samples of the Turin Shroud that was sent around to each of these museums uh, for testing, the museum labs for testing, each sample appears to have been contaminated with unknown fibers and unknown material in some way or another. That does not fill me with confidence as to the results of the 88 radiocarbon dating. If you test something that's been compromised, your results are going to be compromised. I believe everybody, even a non-radiocarbon expert, understands that. The second issue raised by Casabianca's paper, which made international news, as you might imagine, is that significant statistical differences between the raw dates obtained by the three labs that, that tested the samples of the Turin Shroud. 
Recall that a very small piece of the Turin's Shroud was cut off and sent to these three different labs, one in Arizona, one in Zurich, and one in Oxford. Supposedly, all three labs returned the same results for each of the, the dates, but according to Casabianca's look into the raw data and his statistical survey of the raw results, that claim of homogeneousness is not true. He shows that there was significant statistical variance between the results obtained by the three labs, especially the Arizona lab. Now, I'm going to read a part of the paper where Casabianca's team makes this claim, but just hear me. I don't understand all of what's going on here. This is deep stuff, uh, and I'm no statistics expert, but I'm going to read it anyway so you understand, uh, hopefully at least as well as I do. This is what the paper says. The analysis of the Arizona counts showed further interesting aspects. The eight counts of the Arizona data were categorized into four groups because they were executed on the same day using the same standards. The non-parametric Kruskal-Wallace test shows highly statistically significant differences even if we consider the eight counts both separately and gathered. The results show that the different assessments produced by the same laboratory are not statistically significant, whereas the analysis of the raw radiocarbon dates confirmed that the different laboratories produced different assessments and that these differences are, in most cases, statistically significant. In other words, when the labs each tested different parts of their samples, they got slightly res different results, but not alarmingly so. But when you look at the results, the raw results of the three labs, which supposedly were essentially the same, Casabianca's team says statistically they are not the same. I take it that Casabianca's work is demonstrating that the lab results are different enough that something must account for the difference. Contamination, medieval repairs, botched handling, fire, I don't know what. Finally, number three, the dates obtained by the labs on the small samples they were given appear to vary even throughout the length of some of their samples rather than remain the same. In other words, different parts of the small sample size and a couple of the tests uh, tested by each lab test come out with a statistically significant different date, a result which could be explained by contamination and many other factors. The, the paper makes this claim about the non-homogeneous results. Our statistical analysis of the raw data supports the conclusion of Rihanna et al. in 2013. They used the known locations of the tested samples in each laboratory and showed a significant decrease in the radiocarbon age as one gets closer to the center of the sheet. This variability of the radiocarbon dates in a few centimeters, if linearly extrapolated to the opposite side of the Turin Shroud, would lead to a dating in the future. Now, what does that mean? Best I can understand, what Casabianca's team is saying is that there is a significant variance as you go towards the center of the shroud in aging. And that variance 
if you take it all the way, and obviously they haven't tested every section of the cloth for dating, but the variance of the cloth they did test shows that if you take, if you mathematically extrapolated the results for the rest of the shroud, you would get results of dating that were simply impossible because they would be in the future. In other words, something is going on here. There is a striation of dating results that seems to indicate that there is contamination present, whether by different cloth, bodily fluids, fire, etc., maybe even all of those things. So Casabianca's paper has shown a really big scientific problem with the results obtained by the 1988 dating. His paper concludes this way. The discussed statistical analysis reinforced, reinforced the argument against the goodness of the radiocarbon dating of the Turin Shroud, suggesting the presence of serious incongruities among the raw measurements. Our results, which are compatible with those previously reported by many other authors, and he cites several, strongly suggest that homogeneity is lacking in the data. The measurements made by the three laboratories on the TS sample suffer from a lack of precision which seriously affects the reliability of the claimed 95% AD 1260-1390 interval. The statistical analysis supported by the foreign material found by the laboratories show the necessity of a new radiocarbon dating to compute a new reliable time interval. This new test requires, in an interdisciplinary research, a robust protocol. Without this reanalysis, it's not possible to affirm that the 1988 radiocarbon dating offers, quote, conclusive evidence that the calendar age range is accurate and representative of the whole cloth. So reading this paper, which is not super long, but it is super dense, <laughs> I came away thinking this is not a lightweight attack on the credibility of the 1988 radiocarbon dating of the shroud. If you are a committed and convinced shroud skeptic, then honestly, I don't have a beef with you because I myself am still a shroud agnostic. I've not seen anything in my research to, con to convince me yet that the Turin shroud is a slam dunk, obviously the burial cloth of Jesus. But if you are a shroud skeptic and you've based your assured skepticism primarily on the radiocarbon dating of the shroud, then I would encourage you to sit down and try to read Casabianca's paper. It is not an easy read in the least. You might need some Tylenol or maybe uh, one of those ice packs you put on your forehead. But I believe it does poke significant holes in the credibility of the 1988 radiocarbon dating test. Enough holes that I believe that the test represents minor evidence now, at best, against the genuineness of the shroud rather than conclusive evidence. So... Has 1988 radiocarbon dating conclusively shown that the shroud was a medieval hoax? I believe that scientists, textile experts, statisticians, chemists, historians, archaeologists, etc. have raised enough objections with the method and the conclusions of the 1988 test to say no.
This, of course, as I said earlier, does not prove the shroud is the original burial cloth of Jesus, nor does it prove that the shroud was produced originally in the first century. We need a better dating to determine that. What it does suggest strongly, I'd say, is that we need an updated radiocarbon testing of the shroud, one that utilizes fabric far closer to the middle of the shroud and one that uses fabric that is checked and rechecked for contaminants, repairs, and reweaves prior to the testing. What does the Vatican have to lose here? I realize that they want to preserve the Turin shroud as well as possible. It's honestly a priceless artifact, whether it's genuine or not. However, I believe the loss of a small portion of the middle, non-imprinted section of the shroud is an acceptable loss and, I think, a worthwhile risk. If the updated testing again shows a medieval date, then nothing significant has been lost, considering that the shroud already bears the scars of years of use and fire damage, and considering that the Vatican has never come out and officially vouched for the authenticity of the cloth. If it is right now proved a a fake, then yeah, there's probably a lot of people who are going to be bummed out. And a lot of those people are Catholics, and some of them may even be in higher up positions in the Vatican. But as we're going to talk about on our next episode, the Vatican has never come out and said that this is the burial cloth of Jesus, and they're not going to lose a lot of face if it isn't. Well, on the other hand, if the test comes back as dating to near the time of Christ, then imagine the clamor and positive publicity over such a finding. It would be immense, and I think it's clearly worth the risk. Worth the risk, of course, if the Vatican truly believes the shroud could be authentic. On the next episode, we will consider to what degree the popes and the archbishops and the cardinals, etc., over the years really have esteemed the shroud. And I think we're going to bust a few more myths along the way. So, in summary of today's episode, and if you've made it this far, bravo to you. This was deep and dense. We probably won't quite go this deep into the science in future episodes of the Bible Mystery Podcast, but I thought it was worth it to spend roughly an hour today discussing whether or not the 1988 carbon-14 test conclusively, definitively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, proved that the Shroud of Turin was not from the first century. And the more I read, and I'm not talking about just bloggers or podcasters like myself or, you know, crackpots or whatever out there, the more I read scientific analysis of the 1988 carbon-14 dating the, and the method that it was conducted in, the more I think this is weak evidence at best. So in my view, the myth has been busted. Radiocarbon dating did not disprove the authenticity of the shroud nowhere close to it. Well, hey, thanks for listening. You can check out these show notes and other episodes of the Bible Mystery Podcast at our website, BibleMysteryPod.com. That's BibleMysteryPod.com. I'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes in particular. That's a great place to leave a review. There's probably other places you can do that as well. 
please subscribe to the show. And I'm working on part two of this episode. It was going to be super long, and you see this is already over an hour. So I split it into a two-parter. And the next episode, hopefully coming up soon, we're going to bust some more Shroud myths. So thanks and God bless over and out.